Welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Let's take a look at Job chapter 27. And again, Job took up his discourse and said, As God lives who has taken away my right, and the Almighty who has made my soul bitter, as long as my breath is in me and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak falsehood, and my tongue will not utter deceit. Far be it from me to say that you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. I hold fast my righteousness and will not let it go. My heart does not reproach me for any of my days. Let my enemy be as the wicked, and let him who rises up against me be as the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the godless when God cuts him off, when God takes away his life? Will God hear his cry when distress comes upon him? Will he take delight in the Almighty? Will he call upon God at all times? I will teach you concerning the hand of God. What is with the Almighty I will not conceal. Behold, all of you have seen it yourselves. Why then have you become altogether vain? This is the portion of a wicked man with God and the heritage that oppressors receive from the Almighty. If his children are multiplied, it is for the sword, and his descendants have not enough bread. Those who survive him... The pestilence buries, and his widows do not weep. Though he heap up silver like dust and pile up clothing like clay, he may pile it up, but the righteous will wear it, and the innocent will divide the silver. He builds his house like a moth, like a booth that a watchman makes. He goes to bed rich, but will do no more. He opens his eyes, and his wealth is gone. Terrors overtake him like a flood, and the night a whirlwind carries him off. The east wind lifts him up, and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. It hurls at him without pity. He flees from its power in headlong flight. It claps its hands at him and hisses at him from its place. This is the word of the Lord. So verse 1 makes it sound like Job paused um, after chapter 26, you know, um, took a rest, and maybe there was silence there for a little bit, but he, he starts speaking again. And very oath formulaic here in verses 2 and 3. As God lives, as long as my breath is in me, as long as the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. Job is taking a vow before the Lord that he is going to keep. Um, At least he thinks he will. So what's his vow? He won't lie. He'll tell no false thing. And he's going to maintain his innocence. That he is righteous before God. Even in the words of the vow, he blames God for this thing. As God lives, who has taken away my right, who has made my soul bitter. As long as my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God in my nostrils... I'm going to pause on that one. So the Spirit of God could also be translated breath or wind. It's the Hebrew word ruach. This is what God breathed into man. When God breathed the breath of life into into Adam, it was the ruach. It was breath, wind, spirit, however you want to phrase it. Um, it's, a, it's a deep Hebrew word. We could connect this as Christians to our own life, to baptism, Um, The idea that God has placed his spirit into us, breathed life into us as he creates faith in our hearts. Uh, 
certainly not where Job's going, but a potential connection that we can see. So it's a strong vow that Job makes here. And you can talk to your children about this um, based on what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. What does he say about making oaths and vows before the Lord? We are not to swear by God. We do not have that ability. We do not have that authority. We don't have, really, control over anything. Everything belongs to God. Nothing is ours to swear by, to pledge by. Because if you're wrong or you break the vow, you lose whatever that thing is. And and we can't, we don't own anything in the first place. So Jesus teaches us in Matthew 5, 6, 7, I think it's Matthew 5, that we are to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Simply be people of your word. That's the integrity thing Job is pointing to. But he goes a step beyond. In verse 6, we see him say, his heart does not reproach him for any of my days. In other words, he has no guilt. He feels no guilt, no shame over anything that he's done, which is interesting because he's still a sinner. He's admitted himself that he has, at the very least, committed sins in his youth. He thought at one point God was holding those against him. We all have guilt. This is one of the ways that the devil likes to work against us, is to take the sins of our past, hold them over our heads, and say, God hasn't really forgiven you. God God can't really forgive you for this one. Surely you are too bad. And it's to that that we cling to Christ. In Christ, all of our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. In Christ, our sins are forgiven, and we have life in his name. Um, Some really great, like God's own child, I gladly say it's a great hymn, verse 3, that talks about that, Satan, drop your ugly accusation. I am not so soon enticed. Or we have some of my favorite words from Martin Luther that he ever wrote. Check out this quote. When the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell, what of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, there I shall be also. That's a cool quote. Luther did a lot of arguing out loud against the devil. Um, Wasn't ashamed to do so. And that's that's a really powerful one. The devil makes his accusations, but we stand strong. We stand firm in Christ. Um, So we do have guilt, but Christ takes it away, and we rejoice at that. The rest of the chapter is a shift. Job is now going to ask God to judge the wicked. And arguably, he might be including his friends in this. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. Let my enemy, does he see them as his enemy? Are they rising up against him in his mind? It's an interesting question here. Um, This section is going to invite you to talk about your children, talk to your children about whether or not we should pray like this. Do we pray that the Lord would destroy the wicked? Do we pray for God's judgment and his justice against evildoers? And there are certainly parts of Scripture that do, right? You've got several psalms that are called imprecatory. Uh, they are prayers against enemies. So that is one 
one possibility. The other option is that we pray that they would come to know Christ, that the gospel will be shared, that the Holy Spirit would work faith and repentance in them, and that they would join us, that we would be a family, brothers and sisters in Christ, reconciled together. And I think the scriptures would make the case that we can do both of those things, um, that you may find times for either or, maybe even both and. might even be in the same prayer. That's an interesting thought. So what are some of the things Job prays for? Well, that God would cut off the godless. Right? What is the hope of the godless when God cuts them off? None. Those who don't obey are cut off. That's the, the language of the Old Testament with God's people Israel. If they don't follow the Lord, they will be cut off. They'll be removed. And at that point, there is no hope. If you don't have God, you have no hope. There's nothing good going to come for you. In the end, it will only be wickedness. Will only be death. Verse 9 and 10 and introduce rhetorical questions. Will God hear his cry? Job is arguing the answer is no. Will he take delight in the Almighty and call upon God at all times? So will he praise God and pray to God? The answer is no. The wicked is not going to do those things. Verse 11 uh, and 12, Job is pointing out boldly uh, that God has done all of this to him and that his friends should be able to see it. So Job's not going to conceal it. God has done this to me. I'm not going to hide what God has done. An interesting statement. And again, Job doesn't know. He thinks this is the hand of God. And while God is part of this conversation, Job has no idea that the devil is also part of this conversation. He has no idea what's going on in the heavenly realm. And that's going to be God's rebuke in chapter 38. This, verse 13, this is the portion of a wicked man with God. That's a reference to the things that follow. So his lot, his inheritance, this is what, what God gives to the wicked. Basically death in so many ways, right? Even if his children are multiplied, so one man sees a good life, his children are just going to die by the sword. Or they'll die by famine and starvation. And if they manage to survive those things, then pestilence finds them. You know, the plague, they get sick and die to the point where their widows do not weep. I can think of three references for why the widows would not weep. Maybe you can add to the list. Um, they don't weep because they also are dead, killed by these things. That would be one option. Or they are so used to death in their family that they are hardened by it to the point where they've, they've grieved so much they can't grieve anymore. Or a third one, they realize the wickedness of their husband and so when the husband dies, they're not sad about it. They believe they are better off now than they were before. So those are three options that you can consider here with what Job might be referring to. Verse 16, this is the opposite of what Job argued a few chapters ago, where he argued that the, the poor have nothing, and that they even glean the wicked, the wicked man's field, and they're still thirsty, they're still hungry. And yet here he's flipped it. Now all of a sudden it's the wicked man who earns all things, but the wicked man doesn't get to enjoy them. Instead, the righteous get to, like the spoils of war. And that's literally the phrasing of verse 17. The innocent will divide the silver, they'll divide the plunder. That God is going to take all of this from the wicked and give it to the righteous, to his own people. Verse 18 
the house of a moth or a watchman are temporary. They don't last. So he goes to bed rich, and then suddenly it's gone. Everything that he had is lost. Um, that connects to the New Testament as Jesus tells the parable about the man who wanted to build bigger barns for himself, only to have God call upon him that night. Your life, your soul is required of you. What was the purpose of all these barns? Verse 20, terrors overtake him. And following here is the reference that God is not protecting him anymore. You know, a tornado destroys, throws him off. The east wind lifts him up and he's gone. It sweeps him out of place. Just, you know, the picture of a tornado taking somebody off the earth and throwing them. Verse 22, he flees from its power in headlong flight. That connects back to yesterday. That Verse 13, his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. So I, I mentioned yesterday, I'm not sure the referent Job is going for in verse 13. But now we have it here in, in chapter 27. Just as the serpent, whoever the serpent was, fleed from God, fled from God, and God still struck him. Now the wicked flees from God, and God still can strike him. Even the very creation itself fights against the enemy of Job. That is the prayer that Job makes here at the end of chapter 27. <laughs>